start us off. <laughs> you won't sit. You, you set the record off, man. You won't. Oh my bad. You try to sing. <laughs> my fault. I was. <laughs> Oh, well, you got just got to sing it for. You see, you. I'll just I'll just start singing like elaborate. Yeah, I'm thinking you just saw a Higher Learning. You know that song from Higher Learning. No, and that's funny with Michael Rappaport on the screen. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, I was, I was thinking, you think about John Singleton or something. But I don't, this uh, this this one guy. Another episode, I believe the third one, but uh, this is the first one that has all three of us. Uh, uh, the the triumvirate that gives you running with war. Uh, my, I am Kyle Means, editorial director, and I have my two senior writers with me here, uh, Josh Hicks and Chris Pennant, who may or may not like the term senior writer, but he's about to stick I'm, 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 I'm messing with it. I'm, I'm serious. I want that, I want that discount. But you, you kind of, I think you kind of like being seen as an older gentleman. Well, it's, you know, you get experience as a writer, it's, but yeah. you just want to be a writer, you know, see, I guess senior writer means right, you make, like, you make more money, but. Yeah, not, not with us, it doesn't. It, <laughs> mean, it means that you, it does mean that you have put in work. And that you are of a higher ranking than others, you know. Should we get more staff? Hopefully, we will in the future. But uh, regardless of if we do or don't, you two are at an upper level because y'all have earned it. So that's what that's essentially what I mean by that title for y'all. But anyway, this is uh, War NBA Playoff Diary. Just a, a quick dispatch here for. Where uh, you know because we all love the NBA as we do, and we give we follow it as we do, and uh, we're not necessarily doing a running with war this week. Just to give, we're just using these to uh, sort of patch in our opinions and stuff regarding what's going on in the NBA playoffs as as it continues to unfold. And uh, we're coming off a pretty interesting evening uh, this past Friday. Uh, uh, we're gonna go right into those those series that have gone on. I think we'll talk a little bit too about some of the coaching stuff that's going on here in Chicago and elsewhere in the league uh, after we talk about these series. But let's just go dive right into the series. Starting uh, the last, the most recent playoff game that's happened was a instant classic, an amazing game that went four overtimes out in Portland, and this series is really just shaping up to be. Uh, the most entertaining, most competitive series of of the semifinals, uh, conference semifinals, Portland and Denver. Uh, Portland ends up getting the win. Big game by C.J. McCollum. Uh, 
big games, uh, you know, by uh, Mo Harkless and uh, uh, Enos Cancer has been amazing. He's been a real soldier in this series uh, with the injury and everything. And they're up 2-1 now on uh, Denver, who is the higher seed. But uh, I think uh, me and you talked, Chris, I think we both like Portland in this series coming into it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's difficult now with them because uh, cancer was injured before. Yeah, that was we didn't. That wasn't the case when we talked about right, it. Right, right. And then um, a lot of it was going to fall on Harkless and Aminu to fill in gaps. Jordan, they talk about Michael Jordan as a utility player. They're kind of utility players in a much lesser sense where. They fill in for scoring if needed. They fill in for defense if needed. They fill in for rebounding if needed. And they did that very well in the first series. And not to get too, too ahead of it, but it's been difficult for them. It's been much more difficult for them against Denver, which yeah. not only – That was kind of expected. Right. It Millsap down in the middle and mm-hmm. even um, Torrey Craig yeah, getting yeah. a lot of rebounds too. Yeah. But, yeah, Portland just – they continue to show heart. And, uh, you know, they could have – Gave up that game in a lot of ways. You know, Denver could have as well. It just was a tight game for so much of it. And it came down to, you know, uh, Murray was playing great for Denver too. And, of course, uh, the Joker, man, is, is just showing out all types of stuff, man. Just it's, it's been great to see that talent on both sides really rising to the occasion. Uh, Josh, what, what do you think about that series so far? There's a reason why you have – a go-to guy in your team. Obviously, with the Portland Trailblazers, Damian Lillard is the face of their franchise. He is their main leader, and he is their go-to guy laid down in the stretch. There's a reason why that he is Dame time. There's a reason why he is Dame Dollar when it comes to fourth quarter all the way down to the uh, other parts of intermissions. However, this is why C.J. McCollum is making the money that he is, and this is why this next check he's going to get is going to be a big payday for situations like this. Players are made and legends are made in the playoffs. And C.J. McCollum stepped up huge in that fourth quarter and overtime periods when Damian Lillard necessarily didn't have it together offensively to really put the Trailblazers in a position where they can at least um, stay afloat until the unsung hero of Rodney Hood came in and, and made a huge buckets down the stretch to steal that, uh, steal that win in, in the fourth overtime. So... C.J. McCollum played outside of his mind, and Jamal Murray has elevated his status as one of the most clutch players within this playoffs. Yeah. Uh, he played very well, on the, especially on the road in a hostile environment like Portland. Um, for him to play the way that he did, along with the Joker, that chemistry between those two is on another level. And with them being so young, that, that future in Denver is going to be very, very bright um, with, with those two as the headliners. But at the end of the day, it was just too much C.J., and it took an unsung hero in Rodney Hood to calm down the stretch and really play well to get the Trailblazers over the hump in such an exhausting, tiring, fourth overtime game that, quite frankly, I was exhausted just watching. <laughs> staying up till two in the morning, just staying up till one thirty in the morning, trying to figure out what's going to see what's going to happen next. So this is why this is why the NBA playoffs. I will take over any other event in in the league. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and it's it, it major sports, definitely. Up to the hype. Yeah. That it, the playoffs in general, you know, live up to the hype that it's supposed to be. But for sure, this series, 
it's definitely living up to the expectations that we want to see as uh, not just basketball insiders or basketball analysts, but for sure basketball fans. Definitely. And, and I'll let you go. Uh, I'm glad you brought up Hood. I should have brought up him up myself, too. Hood has made a big difference in this series. He wasn't he wasn't used very much. And you got to give uh, Terry Stotts credit on this. Like he he didn't use the guy much and a lot of in the first round against Oklahoma City. And a, for a lot of coaches, that had been a sign that they weren't going to use him much at all in, in the playoffs. But he knew that matchups change and that you're going to need some people more against one opponent than you will against another. And he's and he's really let him go in this series. And, uh, you know, I, before you say what you uh, was intending to say, I, I wanted to throw that to you, Chris. Why do you think that Hood has made the difference that he's made in this series? Well, it, it's hard for me to say honestly because I've liked Rodney Hood for a few years now. Yeah. I thought he was good. good. He was a good pickup for the Cavs. It just didn't work out for them that year. He's he's left-handed, which is most important. Okay. He's a tall, rangy player with good shooting range. Yeah. He's not, you know, he's not somebody that you would necessarily look to on defense. But if you need him to, and if you if you get him into the right frame of mind, I think he can defend multiple wing positions. You just don't see him being asked to do that. He's in there to, for scoring like he was last night to, mm-hmm. to score off the bench. I think the difference is that whereas you had um, Jeremy Grant and even Terrence Ferguson, who are tough wings, two are tough wing players, who are coming in to play defense, and, and Nolan's Noel to an extent, who can move about the lineup defensively, who can take those switches. Sure, a lot of length. There's not that kind of a guy – on the on the, the Nuggets, like you're not going to ha- ask Rodney Hood to go one-on-one against Paul Millsap, and that's a player that he can take if you go out to the three-point line. There's a player that he can work, impose his will on, and get the shot that he wants. Sure. Will Barton is a great defensive player. He's probably the only dude that he might have trouble with, but Craig Beasley is outsized. Yep. Um, there aren't those same kind of players on the on the Nuggets. I would go with that just in the fact that he's been and why he's been more effective in this series. What surprised me was that Terry Stotts brought him in so late. And, you know, he didn't bring him in until the fourth overtime. For the most part, Portland, unless I'm wrong, went with their same went with their starting five in the first three overtimes. Mm-hmm. Denver shifted in Malik Beasley. They shifted in Will Barton. They shifted in Torrey Craig from you know from here and there, or at least moved them around the lineup. But until that fourth overtime, and bringing in Hood, and then bringing in Steph Curry late for um, when they had the lead and it was lower, they were low on time. They knew they were going to get fouled. I was surprised that they didn't that they waited so long to use Rodney Hood. I mean, it worked out. It worked out for sure. And maybe it was a defensive liability that they didn't want to have him in there. But as it, as it stands, it looks like a great decision because they won the game. And he, he hit some – the shots that he hit were not easy. No matter how tired the guys defending him were, those were not easy shots. Definitely, definitely. Definitely. Uh, I, it's, it's interesting, man, how uh, – I like, like how this, that this uh, series is playing now. Uh, we got uh, one more game Sunday night in Portland. Uh what do, you, what do you guys, you know, either one of you want to jump in? What do you, what do you expect in that game? And, and what do you, how do you think the rest of the series is going to play out? Like uh, like I said, Chris, me and you think that Portland's going to win the series anyway. Uh, Josh, you know, if you, if you want to throw in your thoughts on the series and how it's going to play out, you know, feel free. Well, 
just think the tri- I think the Trailblazers are gonna win as well. It may go down. I think it's gonna go down set uh, six games per- uh, personally. Won't be surprised if it goes to seven. Um, I think it just boils down to um, with teams like this that are very defensively sound and who have a very strong offensive arsenal. But it, it goes down to situations like last night. Who can you have as a go-to player? when the game matters the most offensively when your main guys aren't going. Jamal Murray, he had it going. He was the size Jokic was tired and exhausted and, and, and with all that fatigue that he was dealing with, Jamal Murray had to step up and be the closer. And he showed that he could be that closer. CJ did the same thing. When Damian Lillard wasn't on board, when he wasn't hitting in all cylinders like we like know he can be, especially in those crunch moments, CJ took the reins, and when CJ took those reins, he exploited them, and he performed at a level that they needed him to play in order to win. So I think what it boils down to at the end of the day with this series is when a game is on the line, and as tight as it is, who can beat that clutch offensive arsenal to basically steal the win and seal the game for um, their teams? And they both have good, and both players have those type of players, but. I'm giving the edge to CJ just because Lillard can create more. Lillard is such an uh, offensive impact that they're going to have to swarm him and it'll leave room for CJ to really fully operate. You don't necessarily have to give up as much when you're dealing with the Joker, um, especially in this situation because of the fact that uh, from a defense standpoint, Ennis Cantor can't move laterally with Joker. So... Um, I just think that CJ is going to have more of a free reign down the stretch uh, for moments like this compared to maybe Jamal Murray when, um, from a defensive standpoint, he may be guarded much easier than CJ. So I think CJ, I think it's going to boil down to who can be that guy that's going to be the closer, and I think CJ is going to be that guy for Portland that's going to eventually close out this series in a tight, in really tight game situations that may lead to seven games. I, I like the I like those couple points there, Josh. Like, like you say, overall with the series, part of it that makes it this such a fun series is that there are so many potential scores on each side of the ball, and um, there's a lot of creative players, a lot of jump shooters, and they're just they're just out there getting it, and and that's making for some good games. And um, you know, the thing with like you said, McCollum may end up being may very well end up being the cornerstone of the of the victory for the for the series for Portland, and it's interesting because like you know so much of last series was devoted to to Damian Lillard, and he really hasn't got going in this series yet, and he he may take the whole series off, but should he do get should he get going, that might be the final nail in the coffin for Denver, but if he doesn't, they Portland still has the confidence in knowing that. Uh, you know, CJ can can light it up too, and uh, that you know that's very meaningful for them. So uh, yeah, let's get going back into let's let's go over to the other side on the on the west on the Western Conference. The big game coming up tonight: Game Three, uh, Warriors and Rockets. Uh, first game in Houston. Is this series too far gone, guys? I, I think. It feels like it. It certainly feels like it at this point. The Rockets haven't been able to get um, on track in games that have been close. That's the thing. They, the, the, what I've seen of these games, 
it's been close. These are mm-hmm. not blowouts. But the Rockets can't find a surge to get out ahead. Part of it is Kevin Durant playing the best basketball of his already storied career. Mm-hmm. That's difficult to stop. Part of it is the injury, the eye injury to James Harden, which no matter how much he can play, you know, there's some things that he just won't be able to do as well as he could because it, it's your eyes. <laughs> what else can you say? He can shoot at landmarks. He's an experienced shooter. But it's going to hamper him somewhat. But it just doesn't seem that the Rockets have been able to, to get on track offensively and defensively. And I think a lot of that has to do with the way the Jazz played them. The Warriors aren't going to play them the exact same way with that overloaded defense around the three-point line, like kind of running a halo around Harden at the three-point line. But they're going to try and force him into that same floater. And he hasn't shown that he can make it on a consistent basis. And that's going to be even tougher now because the floater really is a shot where you have to I'm, – I'm not a floater. I'm the guy who's, who's getting – who's watching the ball go over my hand when I play him. <laughs> I'm not the guy throwing the floater up. I'm trying to stretch the Right. Ball. I hate that shot. I hate that shot as a big guy. But that's a shot where you really do need your vision because it's not just a, it's a one-hand shot. It's a field shot. You're trying to find you're trying to find the exact spot where you need to throw the ball up over the over the defender. Or if you want, because the other option on that play is an option play, is a lob for Capella. Mm. And so if the Warriors block out Capella, which the Jazz weren't able to do on uh, consistently, and they force him into that floater, which they've been doing, it just feels like a Warriors it feels like a Warriors sweep at this point. It feels like a Warriors sweep to me. Well, you agree, Josh? I don't want to say it's a Warriors sweep. I think Houston's going to eventually get a game out of this, but it does look like it's going to be a five-game exit. Um, like you said, Kevin Durant is playing at an unbelievable historical level this year, and he's letting you know that he is Kevin Durant. You know <laughs> who he is. You know why. Uh, so uh, he's definitely playing this game. And need to mind you, too, the Golden State Warriors are playing and winning these close games, and Stephen Curry hasn't even been fully healthy and hasn't been fully um playing at the level that he can play at too. So if he gets on if they're on the road and he starts getting up, you know, heating up, it's gonna be a long night for the Rockets. But and and I but and James but I'm not surprised by this because James Harden has a history of not showing up in big key moments in big key games. And mm-hmm. part of it was against the Golden State Warriors. Historically he can play great throughout the season, but when it comes to playoff time and it's time for him him to meet uh, to play the highest level possible and bring the and bring on those wins, he has been unsuccessful in doing so. So he needs to play back at the end at, at the regular season level that we know he can play at in order for him to even get a chance at this point. Especially since the guy you brought in and Chris Paul, even though last year he wasn't healthy, fully healthy that, that um that could have that helped cost them the series. This year he's healthy. This year he's on the court at the same time at full strength with James Harden in that backboard against the Warriors. And he hasn't produced well either. He hasn't, he hasn't played terrible, but he's not the Chris Paul that we know that Chris Paul can be. And he has to be that on top of James Harden being that elite historical uh, style of play that he was during the regular season to even really give them a chance. Eric Gordon hasn't always been hitting. P.J. Tucker, even though he can't shoot the three, he's not a consistent three-point shooter. And Clint Capello can sort of be a liability if you don't, Give him a lob or something around the basket. 
mm-hmm. which the oldest or worst which have been able to eliminate. So because of the because of uh, this offensive style of you live and die by the three, if you can't make the threes and you can't have your superstars play at a high level, you're going to get burned. And that's what the Rockets have been able to do. Even though it's been cl- uh, close games, they've been getting burned because James Harden and Chris Paul had not elevated the game to a level that we know they can play. And historically, it, it's just added to the James Harden uh, uh, commentary. It's the same thing over and over again. And it looks like Chris mentioned, like Chris mentioned earlier, it's another one of those years where the Rockets, they're always going to be very, very good, but they can't get over the hump. Yeah. Yeah, and I I think just right quick to dive in, like when you mentioned Paul, like I, so many people was like, okay, last year he he probably meant the difference for them, and I'm 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 actually in that camp. I think if they had if Paul was healthy through that series, even even though Iguodala has come out and said, well, if I was in the series too, he probably would have won. So you you do got to factor that in, but I think the way it played out. Being that Paul if exited the series later than Iguodala did, if Paul was there through the remainder of that sixth game and that's into that seventh game, I think they beat uh, Golden State. So it's interesting now to see Paul. I don't know, maybe he over that hill, man, because he's he like you say, Josh. He is healthy. He's in there, but he ain't really doing nothing to impact the game. So it's like. You know, if you if you're left all if you you leaving um, James Harden all by his lonesome to to battle the Warriors, that's like John Snow at the beginning of the of the Battle of the Bastards. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, Chris? It, that's that's like terrible tactical error. Yeah, that's, that's that's so stupid. That's James Harden standing in the middle of the field with his sword with with a, about a, a five thousand dudes bearing down on him, and it's it's not it's not gonna work. And a lot of it this year is that the Rockets' bench is just worse. Yeah. Daniel House, who I really, really liked coming out of Texas A&M, uh, partially because they, they had that amazing comeback against Northern Iowa. But he just hasn't had it. And he's a young player. He's thrust into a very competitive playoff year. But he hasn't, he hasn't produced the way that the Rockets would need him to produce. We, we talk so many times over the course, even either on podcasts or just amongst ourselves, I know we have, about how big a loss Trevor Ariza was for them. Mm -hmm. And it's still a big loss. They don't have anybody who can fill that hole of being a consistent guy who can catch or shoot a three and also play defense for you on the other end. House isn't that guy. Iman Shepard isn't that guy. Kenneth Reed is not that guy. Gerald Green isn't that guy. Austin Rivers has been playing pretty well off the bench. He was really good in the first series for them, and he's been pretty good in this one. But he's not that guy. He's just not consistent in the way that they need him. And they do – it's the playoffs. You need stops on the other end. Having a reason come off the bench for them was fantastic. Eric Gordon uh, – Josh, I know you talked about Eric Gordon. hasn't been doing the next, really what they need him to do. He's played really, really well in terms of just that Houston system of being able to hit a three when they need it. Yeah, he, spot up shoot. He was a light. He was a, a, a light against the Jazz. And he has been shooting really well. Still, he's continued to shoot very well. It's just been that their bench, when they really could use them to step up, hasn't been producing at the level that they really need, aside from Rivers, on you know, at moments, at moments. And really, on the Warriors' side, they haven't even needed that much help. All their starters have averaged in double figures so far, above 15 points. 
and they are out there killing the Rockets on the offensive boards. It's kind of a similar problem with the Portland and um, and Denver mm-hmm. series to a lesser degree. The Rockets don't have anybody who can stand up to them on the offensive glass. And they're not even really – they're not playing – they're playing the small lineups for most of the game. They're not – it's like it's not – they're not spotty with the depth lineup. But it's – you know, there's a they are the depth lineup for a reason, you know, or the, or the half design, whatever you want to call it. But it – yeah, and, and, but but you have that smaller lineup, and they're still beating them on the boards. That's not a good look. And was, I'm looking at this just like you have Looney, um, Livingston. Sean Livingston is is just a ranging player who can who will go in if you need him to get boards. But yeah. just being able to keep those balls alive and then secure the rebound because mm-hmm. a lot of it is a lot of it is just tipping the ball and then pulling the ball in. Warriors have just been better at it. They've been better at it so yeah. far. It's it's crazy, dude. Uh, do you guys think that? I mean, if, if the way it looks, they probably. Do you think Houston can get away with just winning one game at home? Do you think they have to win both games? Oh, like the in like the long term scope scope of things. Yeah, to in order to win the series. Nah, nah I, I, they need to win two games. They need to win back to back games at home. They need to defend their home court. Yeah. The when I watch Rockets games, you can tell one it's loud in there, which is something that you need, but they need to figure out how to adjust their game so that they can beat Golden State. It's not just – you can't just ride on the – well, we have them three games to two last year. They need to adjust. It's obvious. Because like we said, they're, they're losing by 10 points. It's not just like a blowout. You can almost explain away. It's like, oh, you know, we were off that night. But these are games where they're playing their style – and it's not working. So mm. they, they got to fix something. Whether it's a defense, whether it's a rotational change, whether it's a philosophical change on the fly, which we know Mike D'Antoni can do. He's a good coach. But they got to change something, and they need to win two games. They can't afford a split. Going down 3-1 to this Warriors team this year, with KD playing the way he's playing, and the other guys just picking up the slack, that's a quick exit. I agree. Josh, what you think? Yeah, I agree too, man. It- but that's one of the flaws of that of my D'Antoni system because of the fact that as you, you're so focused on living and dying by the three that he hasn't been, even though he can't make adjustments, he's been known in certain playoff moments where he doesn't make those. And that along with the fact that the, the, the constant complaints of the officiating during the games, I think they do, in a sense, bank on the fact that if the refs can ref to, you know, towards their end, They'll win games, and that's not necessarily that that can't be the real focus when it comes to these type of playoff games. There's more to it, like you mentioned earlier, when it comes to making the right adjustments that they need to make offensively, rotationally, and even defensively. And my man Tony hasn't always been known to be that type of guy to adjust on the fly, even though, like you mentioned, Chris, he is capable of doing it and has done it has done it a couple times in the past. But with this specific Rockets team. From last year to this year, it, it, adjustments does not fit their vocabulary. They stick to who they are, which lets you uh, live and die by the three team. And on top, and within that, we hope the officiating goes their way. If it doesn't, then they're in a, they're in a tough spot to win any type of game because their focus totally is based on James Harden and his ability to draw fouls and get to the free throw line and make threes whenever. 
And if you don't have any of those combinations working for you at once, Houston is in a, Houston's going to be in trouble, literally. And we've seen that last year, and we're seeing it this year. Definitely, definitely. All right, look, fellas, let's move over to the East. Uh, the other game, the early game, Friday night, Bucks in Boston. Bucks uh put the put the pedal to the metal a little bit. They took take back that series, control of that series. Two one uh had the win in Boston. Um, man, Giannis man, <laughs> you know, what are you gonna do with that dude, man? They, he was he was making all type of moves looking like Connie Hawkins or something out there, man. He was just finger rolling. You never seen your discount, dude. Man, look, I'm old, man, and I've, I've been old. I've, I've been playing attention to the old school, so I, I know them dudes. But you know, he he's looking like you know just that range, man, getting to the rim all day, finger like doing finger roll type stuff, and you know he it was so beautiful to look at, man. He, and, and you know they they're making shots. They're doing exactly what you what you want them to do with their personnel, spreading up, spreading Boston defense. They're hitting shots. Uh, you know, they're 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 running in transition. They're running on them, and it's not. It's I don't know what Boston can do if they. Boston looked so good in that first game, and people was thinking, "Oh, okay, here they go." But these last two games, man, they just been lacking. What what do y'all got to say? I I, man, I, I think, oh go ahead, John. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I just think that at the end of the day, um, the Bucks. It, I think this is the first time in a long time where the Bucks, where there's a team that actually matches Boston's talent. Boston overall has a lot more maybe athleticism to their group, but from a talent perspective, the Bucks have equaled that. Yeah. Um, in, in different way, in different ways that Boston never really had the experience. Before. When they played Cleveland last year, it was just an it was just an inexperienced situation. You had a lot of young guys that um, that just did that were you know learning on the fly how to play in big playoff moments. And not to mention, he was playing against LeBron James in his prime. You go ahead when you had that issue. Obviously, LeBron James would prevails. But this year, even with the experience that they have, the Bucks have been able to utilize the undeniable, unguardable talent of Giannis put around the shooters that they can trust and need to score the ball. I think the X factor to this series is Chris Middleton, actually, because of the fact that as an all-star player, first-year all-star player, being in the playoffs last year, he didn't always show up when he needed, when they needed him the most, and it costed them that series. Him and Eric Bledsoe, they yeah. did not show up when they needed to show up. Eric Bledsoe has, so far, has not been able to show up in the way that he needs to. But Chris Middleton has stepped up in a big way to where when the shooting isn't always on point, he's someone that can create a shot for himself. And when you utilize that with Giannis, Giannis creates that opportunity for him to create that shot. So because of, I think Boston just doesn't have an answer for that because they can't stop Giannis themselves. Yeah. And when they try to stop Giannis, He's just trading all these opportunities to where now he can thrive and put himself in a position to really excel at the game the way that they need to. So I think at the end of the day, Bucks' talent is just taking over to a level where they stick to who they are, they know their roles, and they're hitting the shots when they need to. And Giannis is blossoming into the star that we really want him to really be. 
and yes. he know that he can't be. That's what it basically boils down to at the end of the day. Definitely, definitely. He's he he's the MVP, and he knows he is at this point. And you look at uh, like you say uh, the an evolution, you know, uh, increased support from Middleton and Bledsoe. I would say Bledsoe too. Bledsoe didn't have a good game yesterday, but he had a great play at the end of the game where he made that drive and, and that, that layup that sort of uh, clinched the game for him at the end when Boston was starting to creep in at, at the last minute or so. So he, I think he's, even if he's not putting up the numbers like he, like he could, he's playing more confidently. And I think a big difference too, when you look at Connaughton, Lopez and, uh, and, and Nikola, Miritich, uh, uh, Miritich, Miritich. Uh, or, or are you thinking of Ilyasova? No, not Ilyasova. Uh, Nick, Nico. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, Nico Miritich. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but Ilyasova too. But all those guys providing shots, shot making, and it's like extending the defense that they didn't have as much of, that, of last year, and I think it's making a difference, man. Uh, you know, I picked, I picked Milwaukee, and. Um, you know, I did. Did you pick Milwaukee? Did you pick Milwaukee? I picked Milwaukee yeah. in this one. Um, it was it's a tough it was a tough pick, but I picked Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean that, that was much reason because of last year and everything. These teams seem evenly matched, and they got a little history from last year. There's no reason not to think that this series will go six or seven, and it still may. But I just thought that you know Milwaukee had the better as the they've improved enough. They play with a, a much a greater amount of confidence this year, and when in doubt, go with the team with the best player in the series, and that's and that's been the difference. Like especially look at the way he played yesterday, you know how like what are they gonna do with him when when it comes down to uh, what are they gonna do with Giannis when it comes down to it? So it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens in the next game. I think it'll be uh, uh, Monday, I believe, uh, but. Uh, was it? Well, I have one thing on that. Go ahead, um, after game two, I was I wasn't convinced that Milwaukee could uh, take take control of the series. Yeah. Just because they were a little bit outside of not outside their identity. I don't want to say that, but they hit a lot of threes. And Eric, yeah, yeah, but a little more than you would expect. Right. Brooke, Brooke Lopez was hitting a lot of threes, which he hit more than he ever had this year, yeah. this regular season. Yeah. But the just the frequency, you know, when you set a record, the Magic did that when they played the Lakers in the in the finals in 09. They set a record, but they only won the one game. Sure. So what they did in Game Three was that they got out of transition, mm-hmm. and Boston wasn't ready. Boston mm-hmm. couldn't deal with Giannis coming down on the break, Middleton and Bledsoe filling the wings, and Giannis was making the right pass. So he scored he scored a, a good amount of points, but he was making the right pass or the right play. Yeah. And almost when, had triple double and he had them on the yeah exactly and he had them on the back foot too so if he got to the basket guys were coming in and they were finishing they were finishing if he missed so it wasn't where game one Boston would double him at the at the post or they would bring a double team when he started making his move they weren't isolating him from the rest of the players and forcing like dribble stop look they weren't bogging down the Milwaukee offense like they did the Bucks were able to get in the transition and keep the game free flowing, which is a Mike Budenholzer special, which is what he did a lot in Atlanta. Sure, um, they not, they got out in transition as much as they had that free flowing ball movement in the half court. 
the Bucks haven't really had that that last one, the movement in the half court, because so much of it is predicated on the fact that Giannis is such a is such a a force. I don't want to say dynamic player like he's not, but he's not a playmaker yet in the same style of of how Jordan could be, or how even a, a Durant or a Harden could be, where they would make the right pass if they were stifled. Oh, right, yeah. But when they're, when you're on transition, like I said in uh, my playground article, Giannis coming down the lane is scarier. This is the <laughs> first time where it's not Westbrook or LeBron where you have nightmares about who's who's coming down the lane on a fast break. It's Giannis this year. Yeah. And if you have Middleton out on the wing, Bledsoe hitting shots out on the wing, that's a difficult Bucks team to stop. That is the identity that they win by. They need to do that again. Brad Stevens and Boston is going to come back. With, they're going to come back with something. They'll adjust. They're still missing Marcus Smart, which is which is a tough loss for them. But they're going to adjust. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, it, yeah, we'll we'll see about that series going forward. I, like I said, very well could still go six or seven, but uh, that was a very important win, I think, for the Bucks as being that they were on the road and they maybe had a little bit more to prove as a team in that game than uh, Boston did. Uh, Boston, you know, we got to see if they can come back from a loss like this. They haven't really dealt with uh, this type of adversity. You know, they played with house money in game two. Now they're dealing with real adversity for the first time in the playoffs. So we got to see how they react in game four. So still a lot in the air, uh, up in the air in that series. Now let's go to uh, Toronto and Philly, though. Uh, I don't know. I think it may be a little bit – a little bit more maybe defined there, in my opinion. Uh, I'll let y'all, let y'all get in on it, though. But Toronto, uh, Toronto just hasn't looked like they got much beyond you know, beyond Kawhi, and, and they've given up the last two series. And uh, remember, we was talking, Chris, in the last diary. Like, I was talking about how how is Toronto going to react when Philly gets in and when Philly sort of punches them in the mouth a little bit figuratively. They Philly hasn't been as much of an agitator in the series, but they have been a little bit of scuffling. But they, you know, and we look at Embiid though, the way he was clowning, the way he was playing, he was he was he just playing his game. Butler, Butler, they playing their game. They're not really they're not really being pushed back in any way by Toronto. And I just don't know if we look at Lowry. Lowry does not give you what he normally gives you in the playoffs. He gives you. He gives you a lesser version of himself. Uh, Siakam is a good player, but you know, is he seasoned enough in the playoffs to be a number two and be a guy that that Toronto needs? Uh, you know, uh, Gasol is he at that point in the career where he's sliding a little bit? I, I, I just don't see them having the guns to to match up with Philly, and that's why I picked Philly in, in the series to begin with. But uh, you know, I take it. I'll let y'all take it, man. Uh, how do you think this series is playing out, and what do you, what do you expect to see? From I'm surprised. I thought I didn't think Philly was going to come out with as much um, intensity and, and emotion as they have. They, like I said, I thought it was predicated on the fact that they were not necessarily happy to be here, but didn't know what it would take. They seem to know what it takes. I didn't. I didn't figure on them to win Game Three. I really didn't. Mm. Um, but they have they've played like they have they have something to prove after last year. And a lot of that is you know, that's figurative, that's qualitative, that's emotional reasoning. But the way that they've stepped up and backed up the things that they say, 
the, the what they what you thought what they thought about themselves they back that up and they're proving it to myself and to the rest of the of the rest of the league on Toronto side I am disappointed this has been Kawhi versus Philadelphia and I want to point out that Kawhi's third quarter in the game the other night was some of the most impressive individual basketball that I've seen mm-hmm. since watching Michael Jordan. He was he was making shots from everywhere. He was as soon as he got the ball in the pick and roll, he was it was like he was it was like every matchup was the matchup he liked, yeah. no matter who was guarding him. He was making 15 footers, 16 footers, seven fadeaways, one legged shots. He was getting in the lane. He was it was a Jordan like performance. It was absolutely a Jordan like performance. And Mark Jackson said at one point. Toronto has been thoroughly outplayed, and they're only down by five points. And that was Kawhi Leonard, almost solely Kawhi Leonard. So I, I've been agreeing with you, Kyle. I don't know if Siakam, who is developing into a star, is ready yet to come up and take the reins if need be. And, oh, boy, Kyle Lowry is just <laughs> disappointed. So many people. Philadelphia is – He's playing in Philadelphia, man. Yeah. He's in his hometown. And this is how you come up. This is how you represent yourself. You can't you can't do that. You can't look. you can't do that, man. Affect the game in, in, in a large way. You know, take the ball. If you gotta shout some people down, but get assists out there. Make other people have to stick you. I'm, I, I can't. It's it's hard. <laughs> you look at you look at hurt, man. It's <laughs> real hard because I like Kyle Lowry as a player. I have I thought a lot of people were were, were dissing him for like, but he's proving them right. How do you how do you live with yourself proving those those Twitter those Twitter jabs right, man? Yeah, he's he, he, he just it's it's been such a long unfortunate history with him in the playoffs and he it. Like people, people try to put a lot off on on the Rose and when they were together, but it was him, man. And and he, like, how do you have a guy like Kawhi next to you, and you can't even you got to make him make all the plays off the ball, or with the ball. I should say. I mean, he, he's not. He's he should be out there, like you say, running the offense, getting getting guys in position to make shots and do things to impact the game. But he's trying to nutmeg dudes with the ball and stuff, oh, and doing all type of silly stuff, man. He's like, I don't know, man. He's not re- he's not repping our name right now. <laughs> you know, that's what I gotta say about dudes, man. So I'm I'm the, the quicker the better they could get out this. If they're not gonna, they're not gonna turn it around, man. Just get them out of here, man, and let Kawhi go over the go go off to whoever he's gonna go to in the in the offseason because I don't think he's gonna stay there. After this series, if they if it plays out the way that I expect it to play, but uh, Josh, what do you think about this series? See, I can better step up because Kawhi's going after this year. <laughs> it's already a given. Yeah. Um, Kawhi Leonard is living up to the Kendrick Perkins um, analysis, basically saying that he is Jordan esque. Um, he's definitely been doing that this whole entire series, and like Chris mentioned, he played a heck of a third quarter in that game three. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just not enough. The, the Raptors are still baby dinosaurs. Kyle Lowry is literally playing way below than what he's what he's used to. He's continuing his postseason woes. Um, last time, according to these stats, he's only scoring twelve points a game, forty percent from the 
Hill, 26 from three, mm. three turnovers a game. Like, it's abysmal the way he's been playing. And it's a, histor- it's a historical uh, component with him, unfortunately. And the Raptors have a history of the same of doing the same things over and over again. No matter who they got, apparently. You made a great trade this offseason to get Kawhi Leonard, who was a huge upgrade from DeRozan. And you still play the same way that you played all year long, uh, all postseason long. It's just, it's, a, it's an unfortunate reality for them. And new coach, they literally changed everything. New coach, brought in new players. Siakam made a, is literally made a case to be the most improved player of the year. And I think he will be the most improved player of the year. But obviously he's not improved enough from a postseason standpoint for them to be in a better position than they are in right now. You gotta look, you gotta give Philly a lot of credit uh, defensively for that. And even though I question Brett Brown's coaching abilities, you have to give him some props as well because he's made it. He's found ways to get Jimmy Butler involved. That's yeah. why they struggled in the first game against the Raptors because Jimmy Butler was MIA. There was no way for him to be involved in a off a offensively. And the same with Tobias Harris. Um, they've they've they found ways to get Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris involved offensively while making Joel and beat their focal point of their offense. And that was a struggle that they had all throughout the second half of the season when they finally got those guys together. Just figuring out ways to make that make this uh, idea possible on a consistent basis. And it seems like it's finally starting to, cl- to click at the right moments of this postseason. Joel and B was incredible in game three and has made his stamp to know that he showed that he is basically the best player in this entire series. But the assistance of Jimmy Butler scoring 30, uh, the, scoring 30 uh, points that game, uh, Tobias Harris making timely shots when needed. When J.J. Reddick shooting the ball uh, mm. efficiently in the way that he can uh, 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 do it. And not to mention, too, I'm disappointed in Toronto because they haven't found a way to exploit the inability of Ben Simmons in a half court. Ben Simmons is a liability offensively because he can't shoot the ball. So I don't understand how the Raptors cannot come up with a defensive scheme to make Ben Simmons do more than what he's already doing. They're making him look like a superstar out there with basically him getting the ball in transition opportunities, running them up and down the floor. In the half court, he hasn't been much of an issue. So the Raptors have to make huge adjustments, and the other players have to show out. And the others don't even have a chance in this series. Otherwise, Philly is going to win this game and win this series in five games. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, it's uh, good, well said, Josh. Man, I, Like I said, you, you mentioned all those other contributions. And I you know with it be playing, you know, regardless of how healthy he may or may or may not be, if Embiid is playing on top of his game, there's nothing that a Toronto has to offer to match that. They could match just about anything that Philly has, but they can't match Embiid. And Gasol played him really well defensively the first two games, and he um, so even though they won game two. Uh, and Bead was kind of boxed in. But like you said, if he's on top of his game, he's a, he's a superstar in the NBA. You can you can try to contain him, but he's still going to get you probably 20 and 11, 20 and 12. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, like you say, on top of that, you got 
You got Butler. You got Harris. You got Reddick from outside. You get you stuff from outside. You may you may throw in a, a Mike Scott or somebody giving you shots. Okay? So it's, they got too much talent, man. I just I just thought they got too much talent to lose a series if Toronto wasn't going to be something beyond what it's been. And you know you could Kawhi could play all the games. You heck, you have all the Mike like games that he want. But it's gonna be like Mike in '87, '88, or something mm. like that, where he's a one-man show, and that's not gonna work against a team that's and it's not gonna work at this point of the year, period. Because we saw what happened with Mike and Nozies. Once he got to the semifinals of the conference finals, he got shut down. Right. And um, you know, Kawhi may not get shut down in the series, but he's he's not gonna he's not gonna produce enough to overcome Philly. I, I don't think so. But uh, no game for that. That's gonna be Sunday afternoon, so we'll see how that goes. Maybe Toronto can can knot up the series, and that'll be a, a big thing for them if they can. But if they don't, then yeah, it's pretty much over for them. But uh, before we leave, let's uh, let's chop it up a little bit about some of these coaching moves in the league, and uh, let's start. With, we yeah, we got to man. We're we're here in Chicago. Uh. Boylan got re-upped. Uh, Josh, I think online you said that'll be more. He'll be able to uh, improve his. He'll be able to further develop his relationship with Tony. Uh, oh man, for a year, bro. I told Tony, man, you gotta take him out to Burbank, man. Show him around. <laughs> show him around uh, Harlem Avenue, 79th, and all that, you know. Uh, but uh, yeah, Boylan's gonna be around at least. For this year, you got to figure maybe two years with the way that the Bulls do business. But the the they re they they got rid of the contract which had them through next year. And uh, how much more? Do you know how much, how much more time they put on? I thought it was five, unless I'm thinking of the Monty Williams deal. Jeez, I hope that. Yeah, Monty, yeah, Monty, Monty was for five, five years. years. I think this is a three-year deal. Okay. God, I hope not, but you could never tell anyway with the Bulls, but. Just right quick, I mean, what do y'all think this means? That like like we've talked about it before. The Bulls know that they're not bringing in free agents. What they're setting up is a team that they got pretty much most of their pieces, and they're hoping that they can get a piece, be it Zion or maybe Ja, that can slide right to that starting lineup for next year. And they'll go forward with that opinion. No, what that means in regards to boiling, I guess is he's more or less the camp council. <laughs> he's, you know, it's like Camp Krusty up in there, man. That he's he's the camp council, you know. So I don't know how I I just don't know how you can look at him and see, oh, that's a coach that's going to bring us playoff success. That's a coach that's going to bring us uh, a championship one day. But the Bulls, they look at him and they see a guy for the for the near future at least. What is that about? Josh, you can, you can, start, you can start this one off. <laughs> Man, it just shows that the Bulls don't know what they're doing. Um, at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, Jim Boylan, even though he had his struggles for the most part, he did eventually get along with Bulls players especially with the, the union that they had to create, um, the player union that they had to create in order for this to happen. So I get it. He's a, he eventually won the support of the Bulls players. 
and all of that. But at the end of the day, it doesn't change the fact that even though he's a defensive-minded coach and he needed to bring that defensive intensity that Fred Warburg couldn't bring to the Bulls, he doesn't know what he's doing offensively. When he was there with the Bulls for the second half of the season, or for, for most of the season, they finished 17-41 under his lead, under his direction. They were 28th in offensive rating, 27th in defensive rating, and 27th in net rating. And they were last in three-point attempts. That does not make any sense with the roster that the Bulls have right now. <laughs> the roster the Bulls have is supposedly more offensive-ended. And defensively, you have to build that. You have to basically get players that can play with that type of scheme. But if you had Jim Boylan running an offense that's so slow and more half-oriented and not up and down, fast-paced like the rest of the league is playing, you're going to get left behind. It's just like um, when you bring up other teams playing, trying to play the same style as the Golden State Warriors. You can play the same style as the Golden State Warriors, but if you can't find nobody that can shoot the ball, you're screwed. So it doesn't make sense as far as long-term what they're trying to do with Jim Warland and what he offers and brings to the table. And correlating that with the players that we have, it doesn't make sense. Um, I just hope that at the end of the day, to make it work, you do, you know, do get lucky in the draft. And on top of that, maybe have one or two guys that can be like that can be willing to deal with what the Bulls are putting together for maybe a year or two and then help aid that process. But like you mentioned, Kyle, I don't know if we're gonna get any type of free, any type of special free agent that could possibly fit in the role that the Bulls want them need, you know, for that person to fill in, especially from a guard standpoint. And you got to just hope that at the end of the day, they do something with this draft that can help carry this rebuild into the rebuild that they were supposed to see, but have yet to see within the tenure of the guard packs here. Well, I would hope that maybe someone in the organization reads you and maybe, uh, maybe they think that getting D'Angelo Russell, although his stock has gone down now because he can't hide weed no, no good. So <laughs> he may not need to go to the west side. I don't know about him uh, but uh you know I don't, I don't know man it, yeah like you say that that i don't they're not going to get a a, a a true number one player in the summer this year or next year unless they you know maybe make a trade and they'll probably just end up with a trade for a guy who'll just leave them at the at the soonest opportunity so, uh, you know as a as in maybe an anthony davis or something like that so I, I don't know, man. It's it's just like I say the same old, same old. One thing maybe that could maybe be a saving grace, and I don't, I don't, I'm just throwing this out. Maybe when you look at something like in Houston, where you have a coach who is so clearly focused on one side of the ball, but they also had a Jeff Pizzelli who helps them on the other side. Maybe if maybe if they put on a thinking cap, they could get someone who can bring in a more innovative, up-to-date offense, uh, you know, a more efficient offensive scheme that could make them compete better and offset the ways that the thing – just allow him to focus on the things that he can uh, – you know, boiling it, that boiling to focus on things that he can do mm-hmm. as a motivator or, you know, as a defensive-minded guy. And maybe, maybe that sort of thing could happen. I don't know, but – uh, 
you know, maybe this is part of it too. Giving him control, giving him security, maybe they will fill out the coaching staff in a way that will improve and make you know make something happen. But I'm looking at Chris. I, I know he wants to move on, so we're gonna move on right quick to the uh, Monty Williams. You want to talk about Monty Williams? Oh, I mean, it's just this is a this is a great move for the Suns. We, we knew Monty Williams was a was a quality coach. He just had the untimely death of his wife to deal with, and then he came back with the Sixers as an assistant there as they've gotten better. Um, it's it's striking. It's just striking that the Bulls couldn't offer either either didn't or couldn't offer him enough to even be you know mentioned yeah. other than in passing as hey, Monty Williams would probably be a good candidate for the Bulls. Not even not even a good fit a good hire, just a good candidate. It almost felt like people who were writing about it knew that they weren't going to go after him. Yeah, that was that's probably just a thing that was amongst writers and people who cover the Bulls. Oh, yeah, exactly. Monty Williams is available, maybe. But nobody in the organization probably was like, oh, no, no, we got our guy. That's probably how they was thinking the whole time. And I'll, I'll admit, the, the writer, as the, as the tone changed on Jim Boylan coming from Christmas into uh, February, March, I'm not – it wasn't that I was behind him. I just thought, okay, either they got tired of writing all these negative stories about how the Bulls needed to do this and the Bulls needed to do that and decided to – and then they weren't playing better. And, but I thought maybe Robert decided to switch tasks. But there is something to the idea, I think, of him being a, a coach who can connect with players I just don't know how much it's needed for this team in their current in their current position on their arc. Bulls have a lot of young players, yes. A lot of young players who still need to develop and who can use a positive like like a like a a guidance counselor type coach. <laughs> but this is going to be a really rough Eastern Conference, man. Like you're going to have to play the Bucks four, three or four times a year now. The mm. Pistons aren't whack. They're just not great. Mm. The Pacers are going to have Oladipo back. you got to play them. Yep. The Cavaliers the Cavaliers might luck into the number one pick yet again. <laughs> so you might have to play Zion and Cleveland. And then you got whoever's going to go to the Knicks. All the, the, the NBA is, gonna, is, getting, is passing the Bulls by even as they had so many good things happen in a little, in a little bit of time this year. With Carter's development, with uh, Markinen's development, sure. with Levine's quality all-star play, and with the possibility, even even with Shaq Harrison, yeah, the way that he played this year, yeah, the NBA is still passing the Bulls by. You don't want to play. You don't want to pay another coach fine. You don't want to be on your third head coaching contract in the last four years fine. But you can't just say that this guy is the guy that you want for two or three years. And I bet you. That they fire him in a year and a half too. <laughs> They're gonna get tired of him. You put put the over under uh, next Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm gonna put it out there. I'm gonna put it out there because he hasn't proven anything that he can be a long term coach to me yet. The players might like him, and I think the players do like him, no matter what they have with the mutant. I just don't think that he's a quality coach in the Eastern Conference in the NBA, and. Coaches aren't like players in terms of their development. 
what their their development cycle is. You're a coach. You are, you are who you are at this point. Mm-hmm. You don't change into something else. You don't metamorphosize in a couple of years. Take steps, for instance. You know? Yeah. As, as good as he was, he was who he was. And it has not worked since. It just hasn't. Yeah. So I don't think you're going to see Jim Boylan change. And that's to your point, Josh, and Kyle, you got to put coaches around him. If you're going to do this, you got to put coaches around him who can fill in his weaknesses, who can fill in his weaknesses offensively and to a certain point defensively. We thought he was a defensive coach, and they didn't play good defense. Yeah. We knew he wasn't an offensive coach. But man, they did not play good offense. So they're going to have to get assistant coaches like the ones that they had and lost. Shout out to Ron Adams doing yeah. everything in Golden State. Yep. Even Adrian Griffin, he's, is he in Toronto now? It's I'm not sure. Either either Toronto, I want to say either Toronto or Philadelphia, but those guys the Bulls have on staff, and they don't have them anymore. Yeah. They're going to have to go. put people around him who can make him better. There you go. That's, that's what it is. I like the over under Christmas 2020. <laughs> Let's see how long uh, uh, Boylan makes it, man. But I said, sorry, Mr. Boylan's gone. <laughs> right. Uh, Josh, uh, yeah, you you want to you want to give any more on that? You also you, you said some good bull stuff already, but uh, I know uh, I know you like a lot of what's going on in Phoenix. They they still got they held on to your man uh, Jay Crawford, and uh, they got a coach for him now with uh, with Monty Williams. What do you think about that? The Phoenix Suns, as bad as their management and ownership may have been for all these years. They're finally doing something that the Bulls should have done, and that's a coaching search. Like you mentioned earlier, Monty Williams is a very well-respected, highly recruited um, coach in the league, and it was well-deserving for a head coaching position. It was just a matter of where. Um, so for the Bulls not to even consider him or anyone that's close to him from a assistant, from a coaching standpoint to possibly bring him in to grow with the team, Instead of bringing someone that's already established, that's a, that's something that can derail a rebuild per se, and that's where a lot of friction can come at. So the Bulls should have took those notes and brought in at least did a coaching uh, candidacy where they or interview process with other candidates to possibly see someone who was obviously better or could be better than Jim Boylan they got now, or but even someone highlight. I just say, let's say even someone with a with a search like that. That's that's so that's the person that's the way you can find assistance to right. Even if you exactly. want to just go with Boylan in the end, you can say, okay, this guy interviewed real well. Let's bring him on to the staff. So, but go ahead, Josh. Right. No, that's a, that's a very valid point. Um, but regarding to Monty Williams, I'm glad that he is in a position now to where he can grow with this young Phoenix team. Even though Phoenix hasn't been winning games, they have talent. You have DeAndre Aiden as a a very solid big man. You have Devin Booker there long term. You have you have and like I said, Jake Crawford is there right now, whom you could potentially resign to be that mentor guy and still give you buckets off the bench for at least another season. And give you fifty of them real quick. (laughs) Yeah. So it's a so Monty Williams now has he has a nice young nucleus that he can work with. Thinking, um, eventually, especially with them, like I said, they can get another top pick in this draft. And who, who knows, maybe down the line, as these players develop under Monty Williams, you may get some free agents that actually may want to consider coming to Phoenix for the long term. For them to start the rebuild where they are right now with the nucleus that they have, 
bringing in someone like Monty Williams, who's well respected in the league, is a huge plus that fills the void that Phoenix had. They never they didn't have a coach that they could have long term to really, someone that they really trust long term from an ownership and player standpoint to really help push forward the rebuild that they're trying to have. Now they have that guy in Monty Williams, and he's going to be the key difference maker to not just continue to develop the young nucleus that they have, but even potentially bring in the right people from a veteran standpoint that have a lot of talent that can aid to this team. They may be the Brooklyn Nets of the Western Com- of, of the Western Conference eventually, where you have a lot of young guys that can that have that can score that can, and that can continue to develop. And you may bring in a couple guys here and there that can really aid that process and blossom into the players that can be really successful into the rebuild. Mm-hmm. It may, obviously, it may not happen next. It's not probably not going to happen within the next year or two, but it has potential. And that, and at this point, if you're Phoenix, that's all you can really bank on, especially with the Western Conference being so strong and down there as it is. Well, you know, one team I would love to be the Brooklyn Nets of the West right there, the Lakers, and. Uh, I think in some ways the Lakers, I guess they they missed out. They uh, apparently they made an effort, unlike the Bulls, to get uh, to get up get with Monty, but he turned them down. And now it's looking like uh, you know Ty Lue is in the spot. Like, hey, I'm here, you know. So uh, what you know what what do you think about that, Josh? In particular with uh, the the Lakers, maybe another little hit to their reputation. That they couldn't get maybe the coach that they wanted, but they have to more or less settle for Lou. But again, that may be what uh, LeBron wants. So, what do you think about that? The Lakers are doing what, what's necessary um, for the most part. It didn't make sense from even though Monty Williams is a well-respected coach, it didn't make sense for him to go to LA because they're not organized, they're not structured, they're still dysfunctional. They don't have a president of basketball operations, and they're basically given. Rob Palenka both titles to run everything. And with the support of Jeannie Buzz, I mean, that's fine and all, but at the same time, you need someone that, that knows the ins and outs of the league. And Rob Palenka is a young guy that doesn't necessarily know those reins just yet. And he was a, and he was a big factor as to why they couldn't get what they wanted to get, especially in that Anthony Davis trade, because of his reputation being an agent and stealing other, uh, stealing other players from past agents that serve in front office roles now. So with Rob Palenka having a bad rep in the league, it could that could have played a huge role into why Monty Williams didn't want to sign with the Lakers when they had when he had the chance. Mm. And because of that, you you've now made the message that it's LeBron's team. So since it's LeBron's team, you got to bring in the LeBron guys that you want. And even though Monty Williams is respected and he probably does have support and and uh high praise and reverence for Monty Williams, Ty Lue is the guy that he ultimately wants. Ty Lue is the guy that brought him that championship. He's the one that put in, he's the one that actually disciplined LeBron James during his time in Cleveland in ways that no other coach could. So because of that, you need to have a solid disciplinary culture within your locker. And Ty Lue is the one guy that LeBron respects to, to establish that. And, the, and, and even though it pretty much almost killed him during his time in Cleveland, it got them a championship that no one else thought that would really happen. So maybe this is the, maybe this has to be the way that it has to go for at least the next couple of years that Ty Lue, I mean, that LeBron is actually in L.A. 
to get them back in the direction where they need to go. And, like Monty Williams, Ty Luke is respected across the league. Even Kevin Durant spoke on it, spoke out on the support for Ty Luke. And that's going to be key when it comes to free agency with reports swarming, uh, swarming around that he is considering Lakers as a top option, which started obviously by our man, uh, we are Rico Radio alumni, Scoop B. So shout out to Brandon Scoop uh, Robinson for putting that story out first. But it is a reality, and it's been confirmed that the Lakers is a top option. So if that's the case, you bring in someone that doesn't just support LeBron. Now you got potentially KD and other superstars around the league that support Ty Lue as well. It, it, even though even though it may, may not be the ideal pick the Lakers probably should want long term, it fills the void for the right now. And the right now is what all that matters when it comes to getting free agents and making big moves in the offseason to get other superstars to play with LeBron James. Yeah, you're right, man. I, I suppose that's the most that they can do right now, and, that, and that's what they got to be focused on is, is T-minus three seasons until LeBron has to make another decision or, or to retire or do whatever he's going to do. But if they don't make – if they don't make a playoffs, definitely that's going to be a failure with LeBron. If they don't make a finals, somebody – some people are going to say uh, it's a failure. So it's – it's a lot of pressure out there for those Lakers, but uh, yeah, we gonna we gonna wrap it up on that point here. Uh, glad to chop it up with the guys once again. Chris Pennant and Josh Hicks doing our thing uh, once again. Uh, this was pretty much like a, a a running with war. I may end up labeling it as such, but uh, we uh, you know just got more talk, playoff talk coming for y'all. Uh, keep looking out for us. We are RegalRadio.com. We're on Anchor. And, um, yeah, we'll hit y'all off with some more playoff talk uh, in, the, in the near future and more of uh, what you're looking for on the, in other areas as well. Uh, Interscope Podcast with Josh Hicks. Uh, we, uh, we got our – me and Chris got our Game of Thrones recap. We, we did from last week. You can listen to that now. And – uh, we'll probably do some more of those uh, as that series wraps up. And, uh, yeah, just all type of fun stuff uh, to enjoy. Uh, this is The War on Anchor. We are RegalRadio.com. Uh, keep messing with us, man. Show us love and we'll show it right back. And in the meantime, keep bouncing. Keep bouncing.